Welcome to Energy Radio. My name is Lisa Katz, and this is episode 68. Today, we will continue our conversation related to CEM's 30 by 30 initiative. We have received some great feedback on some of our previous episodes related to the subject and want to do our best to continue to educate and inspire women and their employers on how to get involved in the energy and engineering sector and retain women through the course of their careers. Before we introduce our very special guest today, I'd like to introduce my co-host, Mr. Steve Quinlan, who is CEM's Manager of Electrical Engineering. Welcome, Steve. How are you today? Doing great, Lisa. Thanks so much for having me. It's uh, exciting to be able to co-host once again. It's, these are always fun for me, so uh, I was uh, very pleased to, to have the invitation. Looking forward to this. No, that's great. And you've actually been a guest on our podcast before, Steve, and you've co-hosted a podcast. I can't remember who it was. It Sunnybrook or IGI? Somebody with Matt. Anyways, you co-hosted. Yeah, we did. Right? We did have uh, the Sunnybrook uh, folks on with us, and and that was really fun too. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to to this one as well. Good. Well, welcome back to the show. I will uh, let you do the honor of introducing our guest today, and uh, we'll uh, we'll hop in from there. We're excited to have today Charlene Gatcha, founder and CEO of Women and Power. Charlene, welcome to Energy Radio. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Steve, and, and to you, Lisa, as well. Happy to be here and uh, thrilled to be part of your 30 by 30 series. Exciting initiative on its own and uh, for you guys for for doing this as part of your own initiative. Yeah, so Charlene, as a woman who's spent your entire career in energy, can you give us your background on how you got involved in the energy sector and the evolution of your career? For sure. I always say that uh, energy chose me. I didn't necessarily choose it. <laughs> I actually started, I finished my degree, um, my my undergrad, and I was thinking about going to law school. And a friend of mine was working in the HR department at Transalta. And she said, hey, we're looking for some summer students in the marketing department. W would you like to come in and do some call, like marketing calls, right? Uh, it was pretty funny. So I took the summer job and 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 for unfortunately, maybe fortunately, I never went back. Uh, I didn't. Uh, I didn't go back and do my law degree. I stayed. Uh, I stayed in uh, Transalta for many years. In fact, I didn't. Uh, I don't know that I necessarily left there. Um, I was. In, I was there from '93 until 2002 when they sold their transmission assets to Altalink. Mm -hmm. uh, I was on my first maternity leave, which I thought was very well timed because. I missed the first year of all the uh, ups and downs when they separated the company from Transalta. Uh -huh. Got in a year later when all the kinks had been worked out, so that was pretty good. Uh, but you know, back then, I remember we we sold seven hundred million dollars worth of assets, and I think eleven hundred wow. kilometers line, right? So imagine what it's worth now. You know how yeah. much the, the evolution of the industry uh, since then has been quite staggering. So um, I spent uh, a number of years there. Left my job at Altalink to join the ISO. And that was at the time when the ISO was redesigning their connection queue. So I was really excited to be part of that process, having worked on um, the TFO side, seeing where all the bumps and cracks were. So spent some time there uh, working through that and getting to really know the connection process, working with wind projects. That's when all that sort of started to come uh, to fruition. So that was really exciting to be able to see some of those first wind projects uh, get online, the Kettles Wind Farm, for example, which uh, was subsequently purchased by NMAX. But um, lots of fun out in the field, doing things like that. My, um, I was more 
I did focus most of my career on uh, the legal side, on the contract side. So a lot of contract administration, uh, customer engagement, account management type roles. And then uh, I was lucky enough that one of my clients, when I was at the ISO, liked me so much, uh, he hired me into oil and gas. So oh, wow. Uh, and in fact, today would have been his birthday. He passed, unfortunately, to cancer but oh. um, a number of years ago, but he was a wonderful leader and uh, he took uh, me into the oil and gas industry and showed me the ropes. And I spent four years there, uh, those in ill-timed, uh, right when the industry was sort of crashing in uh, the early 2011 to 15. So uh, I was left there. I was um, one of the chosen ones and uh, spent some time kind of pondering what I wanted to do with my life and decided, uh, I, you know, I think I should stay in oil and gas. Things weren't so great in energy. And we'll talk a bit about that, right? You know, there were a lot of challenges yeah. as one in the energy uh, industry. I felt a little bit, you know, the numbers were more um, at parity in oil and gas. And I felt a little bit more, I was getting more respect. I was getting more opportunities. In fact, I had an opportunity at one point, uh, I tell this story, my boss came to my office um, and this was a different one. Um, Brian, unfortunately, had moved into another company and another gentleman was, you know, kind of um, looking, he was our vice president of commercial. And um, we had talked about pay and, you know, things like that. And he uh, came to me one day with an envelope in his hand. He said, I need to talk to you. We need to go into this meeting room and we need to have a conversation. Actually, I was terrified. I thought I was going to lose my job. <laughs> and anyway, he said, I think you're going to want to sit down when you open this envelope. And I said, oh, man. Oh my gosh. So I sit down and I open the envelope and it was a $40,000 raise. Wow. Yeah. Good day. Really good day. Wow. Not at all what Here expecting. you were walking into that room thinking you were going to get let go and you got the significant yeah. raise. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. No, and this was about two years into, but he, you know, through conversation had, I mean, obviously found what I was getting paid and went like, there's, there's something wrong here. And so he took it to the HR department and he was one of those that was a real advocate for, for equal pay. So that was, you know, something that was really encouraging for me. And that became sort of my leverage, you know, later in my career, going back into the electricity industry. So, and where I kind of felt pigeonholed, you know, you got, you grow up in a field and I didn't, I wasn't an engineer specifically, so I didn't have a path to follow in terms of compensation. So yeah. Um, that was, you know, one of the, and, and just being part of groups in oil and gas that met on a regular basis to network. And we didn't have similar things in the energy industry unless it was a conference and you had to be, you know, a certain position in a certain company to be invited to a conference. So, um, love those opportunities, but couldn't find a job in oil and gas. So I did end up coming back into power and, uh, joined the balancing pool uh, at a very interesting time. In 2016, when uh, all of the power purchase agreements were being terminated by the buyers, oh, and yeah. no idea the kettle of hot water that I was getting myself into at the time, and I could write a book now, uh, like it would be an expose, I think, of the you know government <laughs> in Alberta at the time. Crazy, crazy times, but um, but it was really interesting work. So I spent uh, sort of the last five years doing that uh, as part of a government agency and kind of learning the ropes there on the generation side. So I've had, um, you know, I look back in retrospect and I've had a really good opportunity to be part of the entire industry, you know, an integrated utility, then the transmission assets piece, the operator, you know, the system operator and yeah. learning the ropes there and, and how everyone integrates with them. Then it became, you know, a project uh, proponent and uh, seeing sort of where things were on that side of things and then um, onto the generation side and, and the market side with the balancing pool. So um, my last jump was into more of the engineering side of things. So I did a, you know, did a foray there. And at, at this point I'm 
I'm uh, contemplating my next move, but I'm looking to do some consulting in the industry and just sort of getting my fingers wet in a number of different areas and and kind of going from there. But it's definitely been an interesting journey and, and Women in Power has the last couple of years been my passion project. And I know we're here today to talk about that. So um, I'll leave my, that's, that's my history there. I'll leave it at that and we can delve into the rest with further questions. Yeah, no, that's a fantastic story, Charlene. It's a, it reminds me a little bit, and I don't know what your what your answer will be to this next question that I have, but in some ways it reminds me a little bit of my own path, right? Like I'm not an engineer mm. and I also had, you know, a leader or a boss in my past who was really advocating for equality and was putting me in roles automatically just because, um, you know, he really felt like I was ready for it, even though I didn't feel like it was ready. My, I was ready myself. So Mr. John mm. Muter from DCL, if you're listening to the podcast, that's you. Um, mm. but I, I was always, um, you know, intrigued that somebody was taking that much interest as in me as a woman who was, who's always held positions in male dominated sectors and, you know, I was working with, I was, I was walking into boardrooms and it was the only, I was the only woman, right? Like mm -hmm. there were, there was nobody else. And, you know, in terms of some of the sectors I've worked in mining and construction, um, you know, natural gas compression, power generation, like it, this is, this was it, right? Like I had to sort of understand and, and, and work with, with guys who uh, in some cases, you know, were, 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 there was some pushback in other cases there wasn't, but I always had leaders who were really advocating for the equality piece. So how, like you've, you've worked obviously in male dominated sectors as well, you know, your oil and gas experience and the energy sector now as well, which is becoming a little more inclusive, but what has the experience been like for you on a personal level? Like, did you struggle with it at all? Or, or do you kind of have in some ways a bit of a similar story to me where generally speaking, you were somewhat accepted and, and maybe, and you just, you had to maybe work harder. I, I mean, what was your experience like overall? Yeah. Like all of the above, all of the above, right? Like yeah. I for sure yeah. had, I had good, really good bosses and, you know, I can, I could call them out, you know, I actually put a post on my, on my LinkedIn recently. Um, and it's about, um, best bosses and, you know, and I called out a few, you know, I had some really awful ones, really, mm -hmm. really awful mm -hmm. ones. And, and it really, mm -hmm. I can mm -hmm. tell you, and I know women listening, it, it, it really impacts you. It impacts your self-esteem. It impacts, uh, you know, you, you know, what you, what you believe in what you can do. And actually we talked about in our um, first launch for women in power, that women who enter a male dominated industry, if they're not supported in those first two years, in particular by male peers or male supervisors, leaders, they, they reduce their um, goals in terms of where they think they might go in that sector by half. So wow. a woman might come in and say, like, I'm going to be an executive level, right? Within the first two years, they're like, I'm lucky to get manager level, right? Like they just, they completely reduce uh, where they think they're going to be because of the challenges that they face. So um, I, I can say that, I can say, um, you know, and it, and it, and for that reason too, like women, we don't put ourselves forward. We, we end up um, through some of those um, the way that we are treated or how we see ourselves in the eyes of others, we don't put ourselves forward. We, we, we sort of undervalue ourselves right, and we wouldn't put right. ourselves forward for those positions. So like you're saying, we may be capable of it, but it's that little push that a boss or a leader or someone can give uh, to put us in that arena to allow us to really start to flourish and grow. Um, yeah. And the other thing is that only piece, right? A lot of women are the only women in the room. And we, again, in that first meeting we had with a uh, virtual session, we had women in power, 
we had one woman in one of our breakout sessions that had never worked with another man. She was in an accounting role, but had never, she was an only. And so imagine, uh, you know, she didn't say a word. She just felt just absolutely hamstrung by the fact that, uh, you know, she was such, such a, one of these kids doesn't belong, you know, one of these kids is not like the other kind of situation. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and, and working harder. Like I, you know, we've always said women feel like they constantly have to prove themselves in a role. Like you, you don't come in, in a position of trust, like, like a lot of men do. And I'm generalizing, I realize, but you come in, you've got to prove yourself. And then once you prove yourself, you know, at this level, then you've got to prove yourself at this level. And then you've got to, and it's just, it feels like a, like a mountain. Right. You're always having to sort of climb and, and you get one place and then you've got to get to the next one. Uh, or a new leader comes in and then you're right back to where you started or you get shifted into another role in an organization with a new leader and you got to start all over again. You know, you might negotiate some flexibility in your role you, if, you're, if you're a mother and you have children and then you get shifted into a new role and you've got to start that whole process all over again, you know. Um, yeah, and for myself, I spoke openly uh, in our session about the fact that I yeah, had to fight for a seat at the table. I, you know, I had to sometimes beg, plead and borrow to get, you know, an opportunity to speak up at meetings or to even be in a meeting, you know, that was related to the position that I was in or whatnot. Um, I've been told uh, after meetings that I shouldn't have said certain things or I, you know, I, I wasn't given the permission to speak up and why did I speak up? You know, I've been subtly and sometimes blatantly sexually harassed by by bosses by i've gone to hr departments and nothing has happened i mean wow. this was you know 10 15 years ago um you know long before me too i'd like to hope that things have changed but you know it's back a lot of times women don't say anything you know i've left organizations and women have come to me afterwards and said did you leave because of this they yeah. hadn't spoken up mm -hmm. try and encourage you know um yeah and and it was you know, and, and in a sense, you you think about I think about it now and I think, oh, my gosh, if I could take what I knew now and go back into that situation, how different things would be. But, you know, I, I was worried. I wanted to keep my job. I had a young family. I had a mortgage, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, and then for women, well, the other one is the motherhood penalty. Right. As soon as you have a child, you're, you know, any promotion train you were on, you know, it was for me, certainly, um, you know, I'm I'm in the latter part of my career. But. You know, as soon as I had children, opportunities didn't come my way. Uh, I wasn't given any flexibility, so I ended up working a, a four-day work week, which mm -hmm. I always said best, best, um, best thing for the company I worked for. Uh, they got 100% of my work and 80% of the time, paid me 80%, bonused me out at 80%. Right? I I didn't I didn't do less work in four right. days. I just I just packed it into four days. So yeah. best arrangement for the company, not the best for me. Right? I I was. Uh, I was working really hard um, and, and that's just the type of person that I, that I am. Um, and then the other one fighting to get that first opportunity, they say the corporate, getting women, getting their foot on the first rung of the corporate ladder, getting that manager position, finally getting, again, a seat at the table, getting that earned respect within an organization um, is a real struggle, was for me for sure. It took um, probably half my career to get there. And it wasn't that I wasn't capable of it, um, you know, I, and in fact, I did a lot of work of, of the people in, in, um, uh, you know, that I were leading me and, but, you know, help them make, make them look good. And that's, that's part yeah. of the job sometimes too, but it was just, you know, the overwhelm and the exhaustion. We talk about the emotional labor that women carry around, just all of this going on in their heads, right? You got kids at home and you got, and then you put a pandemic on top of it. Right. And that's where I really hope things will change because it used to be. 
um, like I talk about women go, uh, you know, we're lucky in Canada, we get a year now, a year and a half for maternity leave. A woman comes back from maternity leave and we forget she had a baby. It's just, we got to get back into it five days a week. We're going to, you know, yeah. there's a baby at home. There's, uh, you know, there's all sorts of things that she's got on her mind in a day. Yeah. And, you know, you, you can't bring that to work. There's like no crossover. Now we speak in front of computers where you get to see a baby on a lap or a dog in the background. And there's like, oh, that person has a life beyond work. And I do truly hope through this that we can now bring our whole selves to work. And part of this re-entering, and I was part of a, a work um, group this week with the HRC. They're talking about developing some tools for the returnship, they call it. And a lot of that is about taking into consideration the, the adjustment um, that people need to make to get back into the office, but also what has gone on over the last number of um well, year and a half, two years uh, in in the workplace uh, in terms of being able to see that side of, of people and acknowledging that um, there is no ability for you to come to work and leave that behind and vice versa. Um, and the more that you can have that support at work, the better of an employee you will be, the more job satisfaction. And those are going to be employers of choice, quite, quite frankly, you know, going forward. Yeah, and I think there's so much to unpack with what you've just said there. And this is actually part of the reason I wanted to bring Steve on as our co-host today. So Steve, you know, uh, he he's a man. He And kudos to him because he's actually the one who started our 30 by 30 initiative internally. He's the one who sparked the interest. I'm part of the group as well. Um, but I think the importance of having men involved in these conversations is huge. And, um, you know, for, for those of you that are listening who maybe are not as familiar with the 30 by 30 initiative, it's it's really aimed at increasing the percentage of newly licensed engineers by 30 uh, percent by 2030. Um, and again, Steve has, has done a great job leading it. So um, maybe could, could you talk, Charlene, a little bit about like the importance of having men um you know, on, you know, or, or as part of your, your women, uh, women, um, I was going to say plus power again, women in power, uh, you know, initiative, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, the whole group and, and, and even if, if Steve, if you feel like commenting on this, just from your perspective, if you feel up to it, you know, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here, but, but I'd love to just kind of get the two of you to kind of talk about the importance of men understanding this piece and how men can get involved, um, so I'll, I'll stop there and, and maybe you can go for Charlene and, and we can kind of carry on from there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, very, I mean, allyship, you can call it a number of different things. We call, you know, male champions, allies. Um, and what's, what's important about it? Well, the fact that most uh, of our leaders are male, you know, quite frankly, um, because we're in an industry where there are few females, most of our leaders are male. And so, um, and, and when we think about mentorship and whatnot, um, and, and, the, and the men we work with, it's um, working with them to help them understand the challenges that do exist for women. Because I do, you know, I had men contact me after our first launch. Um, and I'll put Evan Berry's name out there if you're listening, Evan, amazing guy, IPSA, um, executive director, he called me after and was like, oh my God, I'm blown away. Like I, I thought this stuff was like in the past. I didn't know this stuff happened now. You know, yeah. he was just, and he's got a daughter and he's like, I got to do something. Like he just had, he was, you know, he's on my board now. Like, and he's been so supportive of women in power through IPSA. Um, and for that reason, because he was just absolutely blown away. And, and I think it's true that a lot of men are, um, and there, and, and then there are those that know, and you know, they didn't know better, but now it's sort of that, that woke piece, you know, whether it's cultural or 
um, in a diversity sense, but gender-wise, what can be done in this sense. Uh, and there's been a lot of work that's been done on allyship. Actually, Lean In Canada just had a great uh, table of uh, guys, panelists of, of guys that were speaking about allyship. Uh, but I think what's really important and what I, I sort of chided them about in that session was a lot of men talk about, you know, I'm, I, I want to be an ally because I want to support my daughters. I want them to have a different life. Mm. I want to support my wife. And I said, you know what? That's, that's crazy. That's parenting. That's being a husband. An ally is, you know, you work with women every day. You see it. You may not recognize the bias, and and you know, and maybe you do, but it's it's actually what's gone on in the workplace that you you know about. And I, I would love a man to stand up, and maybe you're going to do this, Steve. Uh, I'd be, you know, I'd love to hear about it, but to say, oh my, I was in meetings when this happened, and I didn't know what to do, and I didn't know how to react, and I, I just, you know, I felt awful. And uh, you know, I you know, I wanted to you know, this is this is why not because I have a daughter and I want to raise them the right you know, mm -hmm. it's there's there's a bit of that you know, so you don't have women kind of talk about the fact that they're allies in terms of raising a, a man, a boy who can make his own bed and cook a meal. We that's parenting. So I want to you know, it's kind of yeah. flipping the script a little bit and and talking about it from that sense. Um, but yes, you know, uh, in it's uh, it's the bias piece, right? It's helping men. Um, to understand the challenges that women being talked over in meetings, or we talk about mansplaining and some things like that, but um, being uh, in a position, and they say not uh, the new term calling in instead of calling out. So it's taking an opportunity, not necessarily in the meeting to you know react, uh, you know going to that person after the meeting and saying, hey, you know I was talking in the meeting and uh, I wasn't finished what I was saying and, and you came in and you interrupted me and can we talk a little bit about this? And I'm noticing this is a pattern and and men being open to that kind of discussion. So, you know, our membership is pretty um, heavily weighted on the female side. Um, I would say out of the 400 we have, 450, we have probably 50 men, uh, lots on the, you know, periphery, but those are very active uh, men as well, the ones that we do have, and they take part in our peer mentoring circles. And, you know, they're asking questions in our meetings uh, when we do have these types of panel discussions. So I'd love to hear more about your, Steve, from you, about you starting this initiative and what um, your experience has been as an engineer. Yeah, yeah. It's um, just in listening to both of you really talking here, it, you know, the the word that comes to mind is exhausting. Like it's really, it's no wonder that so many women leave the industry and engineering. Um, and I think it's really important for men to hear these stories. It's not just a one-off. Um, generally, you know, all of the women that I've spoken to say, yeah, this is, this is normal. This is what we all experience. So um, just, you know, hearing it more often and having uh, these avenues to speak about this and um, for more men to understand that this is what women are facing, I think is just so important. So I I'm glad to be able to have this uh, avenue now at CM where we're having some of these discussions and kind of, uh, you know, elevating those voices so that we can have an appreciation for it. Because um, I think that the tendency is to think that yeah this is in the past like we've we've gone beyond that we're pretty good here but are we really like let's let's really break it down and, and what more could we be doing right so um yeah and even just you know since uh starting our committee at cem we've had so many great discussions i've learned so much personally just my own personal journey in this area 
um, I'm far beyond where I was when I started this. Just in having our committee talks and kind of doing some of the research into this area and hearing stories like like your own, Charlene, it's just, uh, just what a difference. And I think it's so important to keep having those conversations and keep uh, keep it on the forefront so that men are actually understanding that this is you know, still a real issue and uh, they can do something about it. If anything, you know, they, mm-hmm. they have uh, more responsibility um, to stand up and say this, this is not okay. Um, you know, it, it could be, it could appear small on the surface, but when it's thousands of times a year, it really starts to add up. And just like, again, it just brings the word exhausting to my mind, like just having to have that uh, resilience to uh, fight through this and, and continue uh, is incredible to me. And it's it's just not right. We, we just have to, we have to be better. We have to be better there. Yeah, and I, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, and, you know, and that's in fact, one of the, re- good segue, one of the reasons why Women in Power was born, you know, started talking, you know, even coming back into late in my career to the um, electricity business and realizing Again, I didn't have those. It was running into women in in plus fifteens or at you know ISO stakeholder sessions or IPSA luncheons and talking and and things were you know were different but still challenging for women and um, and so that's when I started you know talking to my peers and said you know we really need to start to highlight some of this and bring women together and so women can share these stories and understand they're not the only women experiencing uh, these kinds of challenges. I have a dog in the background that is completely going insane. That's okay. We actually don't hear it. We're here really. So we're good. (laughs) I'll I'll go back on that, but she's got, she has this teddy bear that she goes, (laughs) this is before nap time. Like the zooms and then she crashes. Anyways, I'll start again, but that, that, in, that was the reason why Women in Power was born. Uh, it was because I was, you know, talking to my my women colleagues and uh, women in the industry as we meet up over meetings and other things. And uh, we, the challenges still existed. And we wanted to share that with each other, wanted women to know that they had a, somewhere to go for support. And I had, you know, after our first uh, launch, women reached out to me through LinkedIn you know, women saying exactly, you know, I, I had nowhere to go. I didn't know other women felt the same way that I felt. And I just feel so good having a community that I can reach out to. And, and then when we started those peer mentor circles, uh, you know, the, again, super heartwarming stories. I mean, we, all right, we had intended on having these circles and then kind of throwing everybody else, you know, everybody's names back in the hat and then bringing out another group. And we were, people were like, no, this is my group. These are my people. Like, you know, they really developed really strong, strong bonds. And, you know, women tend to do that within organizations and that's even hard. Um, You know, and I've even in my uh, past, because I developed relationships, friendships and mentorships with men, I've had women, you know, when I got my promotion in my job in oil and gas, I had my, who I thought were my friends actually spread rumors that I was sleeping with him and we were both married. And like, would that ever happen the other way around? You know, like, it's just, mm-hmm. why do we do this to ourselves? And, you know, that's the other thing I'd say women, ought, you know, we can be our own worst enemies in not supporting each other. And, and that's really why, you know, Women in Power was designed so that we can support each other uh, in whatever way we need support. And we've heard amazing stories through these mentorship circles of women who've gotten empowered 
and gone in and had conversations with their bosses about bias or asking for that promotion that they just didn't have the guts to before because right. they had a team of women behind them supporting them. So if, and you know, people have said to me, where is this going? Like, what is their long-term plan? I said, well, I had a plan when COVID started and that didn't work out. So I'm just going to take it one step at a time. And so far it's working out really good. And if I can have one woman contact me through LinkedIn and tell me it's made a difference, that's all I need. You know right. what I mean? And, and, but we've had so many who have done that. And so that's really been uh, the rewarding part of the experience for sure. Yeah. It's interesting. You, you mentioned, um, you know, taking someone aside and saying, Hey, you know, why did you do it this way? Or, or can we, can we do it uh, better? And I, I just thought one of the, the terms, um, I've recently learned is upstander and um, it's so important for men to be able to take on that role. I've certainly myself been in those kinds of situations where it's just like, I can't believe that person said that. That's really awkward. This is really uncomfortable. I want to say something, but what do I say? How do I do this? Um, but I think it makes so much of a difference once people start becoming more comfortable with having those conversations and it just becomes normalized that, you know, if something happens, you know, we're, we're all comfortable with educating each other about saying, okay, how can we do this better? How can we do this differently so that you're not, you're not putting someone down or, or pushing someone aside or giving someone the voice that they deserve and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think, you know, that starts with, you know, in those settings and organizations, and this is where DIs come in, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion is is creating that space and, and creating a culture where people feel comfortable enough, you know, to say, this is what we're about, this is what we mean, um, and to have those open discussions. And, and if it has to start, and it's like race, it's, you know, all these things that are bubbling to the surface now that, um, and it's, I think it's fantastic, I think it's wonderful, our, you know, the Indigenous communities through the Day of Truth and Reconciliation, we can be it's you know, being curious, it's asking questions. It's like, how how does this feel for you? How, you know, you're going to speak to uh, you know someone if you saw something in a meeting, um, you know, directing that. Again, it's like bullying. They teach kids in school, right? Upstanders or you don't let a bully, you know, you stand, you, you, you know, you, you, you step in, you do something. Um, so it, maybe you do that in the moment, maybe you do that after the fact, but then you become more comfortable with that, that you can actually stop a meeting mm -hmm. and say, hang on, wait a minute. Um, and, you know, the big ones we talk about are things like, um, you know, being interrupted or spoken over. Uh, another one was just, you know, you're the only woman in the room, so we need someone to take minutes uh, and ask a woman to take, the, the only woman at the table to take minutes. And I declined it several times. I've said, no, I, I'm, yeah. I'm here for this reason. And if there's anyone else who, you know, can take the minutes, happy to, um, those kinds of conversations. Um, and then the other one, um, bell trained dog, I should have taken the bells off the door. Um, mansplaining we talk about that was mansplaining right a man a woman saying something and then her leader coming in and rephrasing it in a way that the rest of the world can understand and you know there is there are ways that women right. can communicate that but it, it's in the moment a very it's a very denigrating kind of situation and then um the other one would be you know when you, you have an idea and then uh, 10 minutes later someone has this you know a male colleague has the same idea and it gets picked up right and you know, and then it you, you you just said it, but it didn't, you know, it didn't. Uh, and, and sometimes I wonder if if the lights are on and no one's home. And, you know, I try and be the type of person who wants to see the best in people. And um, and, and so, yeah, just taking those opportunities. And, and we talk about calling people in 
and saying, and I've done that in, in organizations where uh, I was one of the only women at the table to say, can I just take a few minutes at the end of this meeting to point out a few things? No, I said this, you interrupted me. I said this, you interrupted me. I gave this idea. 10 minutes later, someone else, you know, and, and they were shocked because they hadn't right. put it all together. And I just thought this was kind of an experiment um, type of thing. Um, so it's been uh, an opportunity. It's an opportunity to educate and um, and take those opportunities when we can and for women to feel comfortable uh, being able to do that as well. So, so I'm thinking about, <clears throat> as, we're, as we're talking, Charlene, <clears throat> I'm thinking about, you know, myself as a listener of the podcast and as an employer, as, you know, an organization, as an advocate, you know, all for what we're talking about here. And people are probably quite intrigued and interested to hear that there's this, you know, there's two sides of the equation. There's what the male, you know, ear is hearing. There's what the female ear is hearing. And and how, so like, do you have any specific actionable items in, from your perspective that you think companies and organizations can take right from the get-go to try to turn the situation around? Like, you know, maybe there's an employment part of this in terms of the way that people are looking at resumes. Maybe it's, you know, um, you know, Steve and I and the 30 by 30 group are, are looking at ways of, you know, coming up with meeting rules and, you know, making our making that company wide. Like, what, what are some of those actionable steps that companies can take today to start to change the situation? Uh, yeah, and I think you're right. I think you've hit the the nail on the head. It's it is about hiring as well. I mean, especially if we've got targets uh, to increase. You know, you've got your uh, thirty by thirty uh, women empowers involved in equal by thirty. And so, if we're talking, you know, and I think unfortunately the pandemic has really set us back in that regard um, with the number of women who've who've stepped out of careers to be home to support kids in school and. Um, elderly parents and you know we've lost unfortunately a lot of the ground that women had gained in the last 10 years and so I you know I think we'll probably see that 30 by 30 you know I, while it's still a great target um, I'm not sure that there's a, the potential for that to actually happen uh, but you know um, and hiring practices and it's really around there's a few things I mean how even uh, job descriptions are written uh, there's a study that was done by Google and Google uh, was finding that and, and a lot of their work um, you know, required engineers, but they're, you know, they had such complicated and complex job descriptions and women self-select out of a lot of, uh, of a lot of hiring because we feel that, you know, you need to check every box on a job description. I've been there. Um, and men are like, ah, I got half, I'm good. And this has actually been proven in studies. And so there's no, there's always more men in the mix than there are women, but organizations are looking at the way they, they word, um, job descriptions and and Google in, in fact increased the amount of women applying for jobs engineering jobs by 20% or something crazy like that I think it went from 12% to 37% wow. just by the way they changed the wording in and made them much like less complex and simpler and didn't have necessarily requirements but you know the way they worded it and so um, there's that and then there's also ensuring you have a, a like a, a meaningful threshold amount of women in the mix when you're actually evaluating um, job descriptions. And I've been on panels where we've talked about, you know, you take the name out, it's candidate one and candidate mm -hmm. two, but it, but that's actually, it actually removes that diversity aspect because when you look at what a woman, where a woman got to in a career versus where a man got to in a career, you need to consider things like all of the challenges that they may have had taking maternity leaves or, 
you know, other things that they, you know, and again, just the fact, you know, as a woman in, a, in an organization where, or in an industry where there were fewer women, um, that may have more meaning than uh, the man that you're being evaluated against. And so these are the types of things that should and could be brought into the evaluation process. And right. then there's the onboarding, right? You know, how you're onboarded, um, how you're supported in those first 90 days or um, and beyond, you know, having women, um, giving them a mentor, whether that's a male or a female mentor. So they have someone within an organization, especially if they're new to an organization, um, someone who can support them. And then there's a number of other things that can be done just around fighting bias, um, you know, in a number of different ways. And, um, you know, happy to uh, direct people to our website to put um, some of that information up. But I did have, you know, I've got organizations that call us from time to time, you know, how can we support you? And, you know, I had one company uh, really starting out startup and hiring a lot of new, a lot of women, a lot of women engineers. And his big concern was that they weren't um, talking in meetings. He's like, they, I know they have these ideas, but they're not speaking up in meetings. Mm. And I said, have you, do you ask them? And he's like, what? <laughs> he's the CEO. And I said, well, like, if they aren't speaking in a meeting, do you call, call them by name and say, hey, uh, Jennifer, what are, what are yeah. your thoughts here? It's like, oh my God, that's a great idea. <laughs> you know, small things like that. It's making sure everyone in the room gets heard. Everyone has a chance to provide input. It's not that we don't have it. Um, sometimes we're in our head thinking, oh, should I say this? Shouldn't I say this? Uh, you know, so small steps like that can really have a, a huge difference. And and to recognize that, you know, what diversity can do for an organization. And it's been proven, you know, at the board level, at the executive level, diversity of thought brings in um, it, a number of different uh, benefits, right, to organizations in terms of um, the ability to collaborate, decision making, uh, impact on, you know, returns, final financial earnings. Um, you have that human element. Um, a lot of discussion lately about, again, the extra burden that women um, managers took on. And this was from the Women in Workplace report that Lean In just did last year, took on during the uh, um, pandemic to support their coworkers who were struggling and, and taking on that. Um, you know, that side of the empathic side uh, of things that sometimes it's difficult for male leaders to do. Um, and and it's just something that comes naturally to women. Now, you, you've mentioned a lot of the um, initiatives we've specifically taken on, like reviewing our job descriptions and, and job postings for wording and that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, it's, it's all these little steps uh, start to add up, right? But yeah, and even uh, meeting rules. Uh, Lisa kind of mentioned that one of the things in there, especially now with meetings being online, people aren't in person, everyone's muted. It's even, you know, uh, even harder, I'd say, uh, to jump in uh, where someone else is talking and kind of uh, be able to get your word across. So, you know, if you're in a big group of people saying, you know, put up your hand and and uh, use that feature to give people a chance to speak in. And uh, so, yeah, those are some of the things that we've already kind of uh, started to take a look at and and uh, addressing in our own uh, company, for sure. That's awesome. It's great to hear. For, for companies that are interested in understanding what other resources are out there, Charlene, can you recommend you know, any companies in addition, obviously, to what you're doing through Women Power um, that companies can turn to to kind of navigate this piece a little bit? Like, you know, some, some. I mean, I obviously 
I'd love to see more companies do what CEM's doing in terms of a 30 by 30 initiative or equal by 30 by th- or equal 30 by 30. Um, but not everybody is doing it or have the resources or the time, but they want to make an impact. But is there, are there companies that can help guide them along to, you know, to try to make an impact of their own? Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, um, we are a partner with Electricity Human Resources Canada. So they do have a diversity toolkit uh, that, that can be used and taken and, and they'll actually work with organizations to develop uh, diversity programs. And and part of that is is that across the uh, what we just talked about, recruiting, um, hiring, online uh, onboarding and then uh, how you support them in their career and, and, and being able to um, kind of right size that, if you will. So working with organizations and, and then I, I just mentioned, you know, just part of that um, group that we were in this week to talk about that return, returnship piece, which I think we're a bit, we talked about, this is probably a conversation we could have had a year ago, because it's going to take time to put this in place, but to help employers understand what changes should be made. And I think a lot are already thinking about these types of things, right? Making changes to policies around flexible work hours and, um, you know, giving people, it's, it used, you know, we're, we're, there was a lot of um, traditional type management where butts and seats meant, you know, you're working eight hours a day. Um, that's, you know, gone kind of, I hope, are those days and we can trust our employees. We've, we've been trusting them for the last almost two years um, if they need to work at home because they have a sick child or for whatever reason, it's a snow day. Um, we we now have the capability of, of having meetings online. You know, I, I can foresee organizations having screens and meeting rooms always. Like you're going to have hybrid type meetings always. And so being able to offer those types of things, I think uh, is going to be really great. Um, and then beyond that, right, there's lots of organizations that do allyship training. And in fact, Women Empower, uh, we are going to be, we're updating our website right now and we'll be creating a resource hub, a knowledge hub, we call it, uh, for members. So they'll be able to access and get, you know, I, I always said, I don't want to reinvent the wheel. There are a lot of organizations doing amazing work in this space. You know, I can think of Lean In. Uh, I'm on the board of the Lean In Calgary chapter. Um, you know, um, Catalyst does some amazing work, has worked with organizations. They have a, a gender program, an allyship program, sorry. Um, there's another organization out of a uh, great organization by um, Jake Sticka. It's, um, they have a, oh gosh, it's next gen men and it's actually going into schools in BC and and working with with young men and boys to help them understand that it's okay to you know to to for them to grow up if you will if they're not getting the support in the home to be to be emotional and to you know it, there's the flip side that uh, these gender stereotypes right men uh, struggle in in their own um gender definition right they they're the they're the thinkers not the feelers they're the breadwinners they're the you know and and we'd like to see an organization we're seeing more of that um men taking paternity leaves and being that being okay you know that not them not also missing out on career opportunities and i've talked to men who've done that and they've had similar challenges right coming back into the workforce and that shouldn't happen uh you know i think we need to take a page from the book of scandinavian countries where you know this is just normal this is just something that happens and it's it's something we factor into our career planning, our business planning, whatever it happens to be, um, and that we're not, um, you know, people don't lose out on opportunities because they make these choices to support their families or to, you know, not to leave at five o'clock and go and watch uh, or coach a son's hockey game or, you know, for a woman to not feel guilty about having to, you know, take a, take an afternoon off to take a child to the doctor and all of those types of things um, that, that we really 
um, that weigh on us. And and certainly that's, I mean, I'm speaking from my own experience, but I know there are, I'm sure a lot of women out there who've similarly, um, you know, felt similar. Yeah, it's, it's great that you bring up that there's so many uh, resources out there. Um, because it, it, for someone who's interested in implementing a program like this or, or having a focus like this at their own company, uh, it can seem really daunting, right? You're not an expert in this area at all. Like I know just myself, I, I have no idea what I was doing. I wasn't originally expecting to kind of lead this group at CEM. I was thinking of, you know, handing it off to someone who would be more qualified to do it because I didn't feel like I, I could. Um, but there's so many resources out there. You're, you're not the only ones trying to tackle this. And it, having so much to do isn't an excuse to do nothing. <laughs> there's there's a lot of low-hanging fruit as well. There's baby steps that you can take to start moving you in the right direction. And I think that's one of the ways that we've, at least at CEM, started to to look at this. Like, what can we do right now? And then, you know, what's the next thing that we do? Let's just keep moving forward. Right. Yeah. And what I really liked and in just um, I think a really important aspect uh, to talk about is this, the the ESG side of things, right? Um, employees, this or I'm sorry, environmental, social, gov you know, governance type um, goals and, and uh, uh, initiatives that organizations have. And there was, you know, great conversation at the IPSA conference this year uh, coming from Capital Power and Enbridge about the mm -hmm. initiatives they've taken to build DEI into those programs and in fact you know it's it's those types of consulting firms and you know i don't maybe you guys are i don't know what you're thinking about in this space but we are in conversation right now with uh, an organization that is going to uh, we're hoping to get some grant money uh to be able to put a framework together for organizations um that and and these are you know we got large large organizations that can pay uh, consultants to come in and do this type of work, right? And they've got teams of people, but there are a lot of organizations that don't have those types of resources. So, you know, we can take those small to mid-sized companies and and provide them with a, like a generic framework, and then they just need to right size it or specify, make it specific to their own organization. But it's most of the work is done. You know, organizations like Guidehouse and you know even Ernst and Young and other other consulting firms that do this work in this space. But it's tying those uh, DEI goals into your ESG goals. And so you can be, it's that transparency and that visibility. And then those are, again, you can report on, those are organizations that are going to be employers of choice, you know, going forward when women are starting to think about, especially this returnship is if organizations don't do this right, women will leave organizations and they will go to organizations that are putting these types of programs and flexibility in place. So I think it's a really important um, you know, for now, it's really, we're just on the, I think, large organizations are just getting into this. It's, I think we're on the precipice of like a huge landslide of this is going to start to filter down into every organization. And, you know, we know through, you know, all this um, uh, greenwashing and other things that are going on in, in how people are investing in organizations, they want to see an organization that's actually living its values. And so there's a lot of talk about that as well. So that's another shift I see happening in corporations is around the values piece. Uh, you know, we used to talk about that 10, 20 years ago and put it up on the wall in the meeting room, but you couldn't, I remember one uh, town hall, we had one large organization and, you know, our CEO asked, can anybody 
tell us like, can we recite what the pillars are, our four pillars and like half, nobody knew because we just didn't live them. And so now I think it's, uh, you know, a great opportunity for organizations to really live them and, and, and build them into every mm -hmm. uh, aspect of, you know, policy from policies to meeting, like you said, meeting rules to how we hire um, and that's diversity in general, not just gender diversity, right? I, There's all the intersectionality as well. I love how you mentioned the ESG part because I came back from the IPSA conference actually with our uh, director of Western Canada, Dave Rorta. And I remember, I think it was the last night of the conference, we drove from Banff to Calgary before I was flying back out. And we sat in at dinner and we said, we need to bring this into CEM. We're already doing some of it, but we have to actually show the public that this is really what we're doing. It has to become part of every proposal. And we think that, you know, so we're, so we're in the process of basically developing that. And I certainly encourage other organizations to, you know, to do the same um, because it, it makes you accountable, right? Like you, you have to really be, you have to show that you're doing it and then you have to find ways to really track up, you know, track against it. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, women in power. Um, you know, I'm just thinking about, you know, from a, from a geographical perspective, what's your reach and how do people kind of like, you know, you've got a website, presumably how they get involved in women plus power, you know, talk, talk a little bit about that. Cause I think you're, you're sort of uh, aimed at, at helping, I will call it Alberta primarily, right, Charlene, maybe, maybe you can talk about that. Yeah. And just, just because we are Calgary based and, and, but our reach has really because of the pandemic and the virtual aspect, you know, we've been, we've been able to have a further reach and a lot of, um, a lot of companies have right, uh, a base in Calgary, but operations in other, uh, cities in, in Canada, I mean, CM being a really good example of that. Uh, we partnered with a number of other organizations like wire women in renewable energy, mm -hmm. they're, uh, you know, Eastern based. And, and so we've got a crossover of members and certain types of events. So we've done kind of co co um, promoted different events. Uh, we did one on uh, renewable renewables, obviously, uh, but we've got a number of different partnerships that we work with. And, uh, you know, in, in Alberta, again, anybody who uh, follows us on our, so we do have a website, um, www.womenpower.ca where we would, you know, have all of the information about upcoming events and whatnot. We have a newsletter, so you can sign up on our website to become a, a member. Right now, there's no cost at this point. We're looking at making some changes to that probably sometime this year. And that, as I mentioned earlier, will give our members an opportunity to have access to our resource hub, our knowledge hub, and, and to be able to get um, tools and other um, access to other programs that other organizations will share with us. Even, you know, it's from anywhere from you know, learning about the industry, the ISO used to do like a electricity 101 type of thing, you know, maybe, you know, those types of things we're working on, again, grant funding and grant uh, funding for that. Uh, but even just access to things like other, you know, what other organizations are doing in the space in terms of allyship, and um, even just supporting women in uh, the workplace, you know, in terms of what they can do for themselves. Uh, we do a monthly uh, blog post, just uh, one, of, one of our board members will read an article and um, and post about that. We had one that was just, you know, about women like claiming your space and what does that look like in a meeting? And and it was a book that uh, an author in the U.S. had written and and she actually reached out to us afterwards, I guess, obviously scrapes 
had opportunity to meet this woman and she spoke about her story being, um, you know, a very interesting story, but we ended up, you know, unfortunately we just couldn't make it happen in terms of like, you know, COVID and, and what she, um, what she charges, like her book is really taken off, but even just having those opportunities to connect with authors of these books and to share this information with women, you know, sometimes you don't have time to read a book. And so to be able to give people a highlight of, and, and some learnings or access to a Ted talk or, you know, even something like that, we did some self-awareness programs. We've got actually an allyship, uh, a second series going on right um, this coming month. We've got technical series that we do with some of our sponsors. Um, so lots of different, we're kind of just using different, um, uh, opportunities to connect with our members and we can't be everything to everyone but we want to offer kind of a um a smorgasbord if you will and then of course our peer mentoring circles have been have been a really big hit so um just you know going to continue down that path in terms of offering we've got lots of events scheduled for this year i hope that one of them one mm -hmm. of them at least can be in person event uh the IPSA yeah. event was a great uh people are really craving that but now we've kind of been thrown back into a bit of chaos as we know and um yeah so as i said you know we'll take it one step at a time as as this space evolves and as we grow and uh start to develop opportunities for organizations to you know work in the space to support women no well, that's great steve do you have any other questions you'd like to ask at all one thing i wanted to touch on is you know what are some of the, the um what are the what's the resistance that you've come across at some of these organizations either in your own personal experience or with women in power and what are some of the arguments that you come across and how do you address that uh like in terms of our partners or just in general um probably from individuals at companies who are looking to implement diversity programs you know what what is the pushback that that you come across and and how do you respond to those people yeah yeah I, was, I think it's like not having the resources right not knowing where to start not you know uh we you know we're so busy you know getting business in the door it's just not something that we can think about right now but you know there's there's a value in doing that work up front and back to the transparency around esg and dei goals you know if you want to attract people to your business that you've got to lay the foundation for it so i think you know, organize again, back to this potential for us to develop a framework or, you know, for any organization uh, working in this space to be able to work, like develop a framework um, that is specific to industries like ours where there are fewer women and, and you know, frankly, diversity in general, right? And, and the intersectionality around that, whether that's, you know, Indigenous or uh, BIPOC or any other type of um, um, minority or uh, community then, you know, how do you, how do you develop a program that supports those individuals, you know, religion, you know, types, other types of things. I was on a panel once where one of the organizations actually was developing a prayer room, uh, you know, around, uh, you know, certain Muslim communities and the, their need to pray at points during the day, depending on the time of year, you know, other things like not having uh, Christian holidays, like set in the calendar. Those are the ones that you get off and you don't get anything else off. I mean, maybe, you know, you work with in your uh, organization to determine what you know, what communities, uh, you know, what uh, your community wants, what your your employer, employees want in terms of those types of things and offering some flexibility so that they're not forced to be um, taking days that aren't of significance to them. So, you know, things like that, that can be really taken, um, taken into consideration that would go a long way. 
I think we're, again, I think we're on the precipice. I think we're really, the shift is starting now. And I think we're going to see a big change in the next, you know, up to the next five years or so. So many great, great points. Uh, yeah, I can't, I can't thank you enough, Charlene, for for coming on the show and Steve for co-hosting with this with me. It's, uh, it's, it's quite fascinating just to think of, you know, we've only even maybe even at just CEM, we've maybe just sort of hit the, you know, the tip of just trying to yes. get this really started. Like there's, again, just so many great points. And I hope that, uh, you know, people and organizations listening in can can take away some of this and, and do something with it. If uh, if people want to reach out to you directly, Charlene, what's the best place for them to reach you? Um, this is either for obviously Women in Power or you personally. What, how would you like uh, people to reach out yeah, to you? LinkedIn. Yeah, absolutely. Like either through, um, you know, Women in Power has a LinkedIn page, you know, I would encourage everyone to follow that. We have, yeah. you know, we put information up there, share information from our partners, um, information about our events, uh, my LinkedIn, my personal LinkedIn, and and then obviously through our website, uh, it, just sign up to become a member. As I said before, it's free for now and you get uh, access to, uh, we often direct mail about events if um, you know, you're not checking the website frequently. And uh, yeah, once a month we send out a newsletter and that includes, you know, a whole bunch of information about, about the industry. We try and, you know, trying to, you know, for, again, I'd said, you know, you can go to all these different places to get your information, but I, you know, I know how valuable time can be. So the more information we can share and, and put in one space that people can access where we are, uh, I think is, you know, benefit to women. So, we'll send that newsletter out on a monthly basis and that gives you know information about conferences going on uh you know what organizations are doing and you know who's sponsoring us uh, those types of things so um would encourage anyone who is interested to sign up to become a member and get that uh, newsletter on a on a monthly basis and then if anyone's interested in sponsorship always open to discussion about that there's information about that on our website as well we have a few opportunities um, people can consider and reach out and um, otherwise, yeah, just dip your toes in, um, you know, take take the opportunity to have a look at our website and think about these issues, uh, both men and women alike. You know, I'd say to women, don't hold back uh, in terms of their career, have, you know, be courageous, be willing to have these discussions and then for men to be curious and to ask questions and to sit back and kind of watch and learn and uh, take as you have done, Steve, and I, I applaud you for that. Um, our allies are very, um, very well respected in our community and we need more of them. Uh, so thank you guys for this opportunity. It's been a great, I really enjoyed the time with you guys. You're most welcome. Well, thank you again, Charlene and for, for, to Steve for, for co-hosting this with me. It's, it's been great. I feel like we could have continued for another hour very, very easily. Uh, so, so thanks again to the two of you. And, uh, for those of you that are listening, thank you for, uh, for listening, for being fans of the show. If you'd like to uh, comment on it or provide us with some feedback, please feel free to reach out to me directly. My email address is lisa at cemeng.ca. Otherwise, uh, give us a like, give us a review, um, you know, wherever podcasts can be heard. And thank you again. This was episode 68 of Energy Radio, and my name is Lisa Katz. Thank you very much.